I just can't imagine. I just can't imagine. Anyway, we are in the sermon series. Hello, guys. Uh, Ruined a renovation, and we are uh, 13 sermons into it, and we'll be here for quite a while. Um, Last week, we began to look at our signature verse for this part of the series, at least, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, which says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, uh, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Great verse. Uh, just a really solid, good verse that anybody would do well to uh, memorize and, and hide in your heart, you know. Um, and we said that it was a sim- like glossing over it, we might think it is a simple verse, but it does reveal quite a bit to us. Unveiled faces referring to that divine movement in us that had to happen in our hearts, internally within us, woken up from spiritual death, uh, in order that we would have the means to grasp the message of God, the scriptural truths that we that we are confronted with, we talked about Ephesians two, where it says God, who is rich in His mer- in mercy, made us alive with Christ. We talked about Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter three, where he talked about being born again in the Spirit and things like that. We talked about the curtain ripped when Jesus was crucified, and that we are now able to go in to the holy of holies and meet with God and. and and enjoy His presence because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross. Uh, the word contemplate in that verse refers to, to our active role in this, this process of spiritual formation, informed and led by the Word of God. Uh, tran- and then we come to transformed uh, into His image in that verse, which refers to the result of the Spirit's work in our lives in conjunction with these two things, with the, with the direction and the goal and the standard of spiritual formation be, being uh, Christ-likeness in us. Um, people that model and live uh, as Jesus would live and speak and do and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we spoke about how doubt and distrust uh, can keep us in a state of disbelief that spiritual tra- transformation in Christ can even really happen in us, that we, we live in a world right now and in a worldview uh, which is desperately uh, you know, polluted with that concept and that we don't really believe that people can become better or change and things like that. So we don't believe spiritual for- transformation in Christ can really even happen. But I'm here to tell you, uh, honestly and seriously, that it can and it has happened for many people throughout the, the, the centuries. And, and you know, go read uh, mission, missionary story books and you will be confronted with people that have really uh, given their lives for, for people. And it's just, it's, it's, it's encouraging. Uh, but I also would say that there is a basic pattern or a basic general pattern of uh, personal growth available to all peoples out there, Christian and non-Christian alike, as seen in three words. Vision, intention, and means. Right? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Firstly, if you want to do anything like learn to fly, fly or learn a new language or quit drinking or like Jack Nicoletti... Uh, learn to drive your new Mustang convertible at 16 years old. You have to gain a vision for it, right? Wow, you didn't expect that, did you, Jack? You have to first think about how life might be different if you were able to do that thing, uh, imagining our lives as if we had already arrived, we were already there. Maybe I imagine my life 
as an Arabic speaker and how that would benefit me and how it would open up doors and relationships. Maybe I imagine being able to fly to Key West for the weekend. Uh, that would be nice. Or in Jack's case, uh, rolling with my homies down Route 30, top down, turning the head of all the pretty ladies on the street, you know. You'd have to weigh how, which for a 16 year old, that's like your only goal in life, right? (laughs) But you'd have to weigh how this new thing may benefit or better your life. And then you'd have to have an idea of what it would take to do it, to get there, right? And with all of that before our thoughts, we then experience a desire to move forward in it. Secondly, then, vision must then be met by true intention. Imaging or visioning something helps us. It's the beginning step. But without intention, it won't really go anywhere, will it? That vision must be subjected to order and to planning and subordination and progression, or it is only just a pipe dream. It's just a dream, right? It's ethereal. Some things will happen in our lives by accident or by natural cognitive drift in us, right? But for the most part, intention must move us forward in any endeavor in life. Intention is the the plan come together and laid out by us and for us to get anywhere in anything, right? Something must begin inside of my heart and it must come out of me as a matter of true, deep meaning and will for me to really truly change in something. Intention translates imagination and vision into action. And what we find is that our choices really matter. How we live, what we decide to do, really matter. And, we, and God didn't give us our cognitive abilities just to let them to go to waste. We are to think through these things. We are to make choices in the right directions. Imagine if Jack just sat in his garage all day long going... Right? You know, imagining driving his Mustang convertible down Route 30, turning the heads of all the ladies... I, it would never happen if he just if that's all he did. But if he gets up and he says, "I I wanted if I want to drive that car, there are certain things that I've got to do." Then he makes a list of those things and he decides about those actions or decides upon those actions and he chooses to pursue them. His vision moved him to choices to make the imagined become a reality in his life, which brings us to the means. Or ways to get where our vision or our intention wants us to go, right? Means that we must grab hold of and use, right? Jack would have to ask his dad first to show him how to drive. He would have to study the permit test and practice until he could pass both permit and driving test. If you're an alcoholic who is sick and tired of being sick and tired all the time, then you imagine what life would be like sober, Right? And then that births an intention in you to make that kind of a life reality for you. And then you would utilize the means. And the means to that are don't drink for today. Just today. One day at a time, they say, right? Make an AA meeting that day. Practice the 12 steps. Get a sponsor. Somebody that you're going to call upon to help you when you want to take that drink. Etc. and so on and so forth. You know the story. As a matter of fact, AA, the AA program was started and built on Christian spirit. 
spiritual formation principles. And those principles are actually very solid to follow for any formative change that we'd like to see happen in our lives. They include surrender to something greater than yourself. They call it a higher power in AA. It includes confession. It includes good and wise counsel from others. It includes self-denial. It includes self-control. It includes a day-in, day-out reliance on their higher power. An alcoholic doesn't just quit drinking by accident or by cognitive drift. They don't just wake up someone like 10 years and say, wow, I didn't drink for 10 years. Hmm. That, that doesn't happen. It must be by vision and intention and means. Right? It's got to be by that. And in the Christian life, spiritual formation is really the same. Surrender to Jesus. Confession to God and to others. Good and wise Christian counsel as we walk through life, self practicing self-denial, practicing self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, which grows up into us, and a day-in and day-out reliance on God's grace. And as a matter of fact, uh, we eat up more of God's grace actually living well in spiritual formation rather than just always asking for forgiveness when we do things wrong. Right? God constantly is there to provide for us in this, this journey of faith. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Paul doesn't write those things just to write something. He means it. A passage which continues later, after you read that verse, it goes on urging us to put on the full armor of God. Very familiar passage, but it's there in order for us to withstand the onslaught of spiritual attack and to grow in Christ well, which includes... Reliance, a healthy reliance on God's Word, uh, walking in, in issues of self-denial and, and faith, and among many other things, right? Go read the passage. It's a good one to study. Paul also prays in, a, in chapter 3 of Ephesians, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Listen to those words. The vision and intention is a, ch- is, is a change of our inner being. It's a change of our inner being. And the means is, by the work of the Spirit in conjunction with the Word of God, as outlined in chapter 6 of Ephesians. So vision, intention, and means are the steps anyone would take towards personal growth for anything in life. But as we talk about Christian spiritual formation, we have to first ask the question, what's our vision? What is our vision? What is the spiritual vision which Christ calls us to in this world and that we must have for ourselves and we must have for the church? And we look to no other than Jesus Himself and to what drove His life and His teaching and His world, right? And that is the kingdom reign of God the Father in this world, right? As he states in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. That is why I was sent, right? And if that was the point on Jesus' arrow, then it's got to be our point too. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God to all people groups, to all nations, because he makes that clear in other places, The kingdom of God means the kingdom reign of God. 
in the world, in us, in our lives. So let's envision and imagine together what that would mean. And to do so, we, ha- we have to begin with a definition. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the kingdom reign of God, uh, the, or the kingdom reign of God is the full range of God's effective will where what God wants done is done. Let's say that twice. The kingdom reign of God is the full range of God's effective will where what God wants done is done whether I like it or not. Jesus even directs us towards prayer in this, in this way, to, to this end, right? In the Lord's Prayer, as seen in Matthew 6.10, He says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And we see right now in our world that that's not always the case. A prayer, the Lord's Prayer is often a rote prayer for many people. But it should not be so rote. It not, should not be relegated to just tradition that we just repeat without thinking about it. Since the kingdom of God seems to be at the very center, the very heart of who Jesus was and his message to the world. There's a reason and a purpose behind Jesus' command for us to pray to these ends. We want God's kingdom reign here on earth since it means, first of all, that God is glorified, but it also means for everybody around that it's peace and health and life. Something we desperately need. But we also know that it begins within us. It begins right here, right in me. I can only control my response to the world. And if I am allowing myself to be changed by God, which I don't always do, I then become a part of the solution instead of the problem. And although the kingdom of God isn't fully established here on earth as of yet, it is already in our midst. Jesus ushered it in. And He said that in Luke 17. And it is also available to anybody who wishes to participate in it. You can taste it now. In kingdom life, all things work together for our good. It's hard to believe sometimes when you're going through really different things, but that's what Romans 8.28 says. So kingdom people, this is what we surmise by all that, is that kingdom people are unflappable, confident people. They are people who can see through all the chaos and the craziness and the war and the death. Not that they're not touched by it. I am touched by it, right? But we aren't governed by our fears. They know, kingdom people know that they can, that nothing can cut them off from God's love in Christ. Nothing. Even physical death which is something our Syrian sisters that Kathleen and Jen are going to go minister to face at this very moment. Nothing can cut them off from Christ. Nothing. Imagine that, right? Kingdom people ingest and believe and operate out of truths like Romans chapter 8 where it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Who? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, for we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, anything else in all of creation, this is pretty comprehensive, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Imagine being a Syrian Christian right now reading those verses. It would mean a lot more to them than it does to us. Amen? It isn't just enough to know the Word of God. To be really smart people in our theology. Theology is very important. Believe me, it is. But we, but we allow it. We need to allow it to infiltrate and marinate into our very, the very fiber of our being. It should be how we react to life from root to branch of our tree. That's life in the kingdom of God. Not only far off into the future when Jesus comes back, right? But right now, the kingdom of God alive amidst... The, us in this world so therefore a healthy vision of the kingdom of god in my life is one where god reigns in me in me this is where it begins and i begin to partake of the divine nature as it states in second peter one it says his divine power has given us everything everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his own goodness And through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. He's talking about Scripture there. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And as we envision that kind of a life, we intend that whatever we do, whether in word or in deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians chapter 3. So my vision entails a life where everything I am, everything I I think, everything I do is directed towards Christ and His purposes for me and for this world. And this is a vision from God and by God to us. It is not something that we come to naturally. I didn't make it up. It's revealed to us by God Himself, and it's one in which we need to grow. It is born in us. Like John chapter 3, we are reborn. Suddenly, a world opens up to us, and the kingdom of God opens up to us, and it's one in which we need to understand and grow in. God reigns. God's reign among all nations. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations And then the end will come. That's Jesus' heart. The vision of the kingdom of God leaves us, therefore, only with the concrete decision to follow Jesus in trust and in obedience, not just to know about Him, but to know Him. Therefore, we become devoted followers of His teaching, knowing with a faith-filled confidence That He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through Him. Be confident in that message. John chapter 14, verse 6, right? 
And all that means that we are devoted to seeing this gospel go out to all people groups, establishing God's kingdom reign among them. And it begins right here, right? Gandhi himself said that if only Christians would live in accordance with Jesus' teachings, uh, that everyone would become, would become followers of Jesus. Strange that he saw that, but he never made the choice to follow Jesus himself. Right? The sad thing is that the followers Gandhi observed were exhibiting their belief in Jesus, revealing that they truly didn't believe in Jesus. It was theory. Knowing about Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus. Knowing about Jesus is not the same as following Jesus. True belief translates into intention to follow. Right? And our culture of disbelief and distrust and and all of that stuff and doubt does does us no good when we apply it to our lives. Does Does us no good. Dallas Willard's quoted as saying, the idea that you can trust Christ and not intend to obey Him is an illusion generated by the prevalence of an unbelieving Christian culture. And you can, by the way, have an unbelieving Christian culture. It can just become a culture and not a conviction. You, don't believe your, you, know, you can't believe your doctor and not intend to follow his advice. That would be detrimental. It could be actually... You know, could be actually be life-threatening. The same goes with Jesus. My father has this framed far-side cartoon in his office with two polar bears. One's lifting an igloo, and you see this other one just standing there, and then Eskimo's running off. You see it there. And it says, if you can't read that, it says, I lift, you grab. Was that concept just a little too complex, Carl? Right? <laughs> And then under it, my dad had penned something. I think I get the, got, got this wrong, but it's in essence the same thing. It says, an idea without execution is just an idea. An idea without execution is just an idea. Intention is brought to fruition by decision or choice to carry it out. Right? I like the idea of jogging. And I might say, well, I intended to go jogging yesterday. I didn't go jogging yesterday. Right, But I never really intended it. Since by definition of the word, I never really actually decided to do it. I didn't. Our intentions are usually aborted and never given the power of life through solid choice and solid decision. Intentional promises are often made in life by people around us or even ourselves for the sheer sake of getting what we want out of somebody. Without the actual intent of ever following through. Our word doesn't really mean much anymore in this country. I focus on this country because this is where I live. We say we're going to do something, but we always leave the back door open. Always leave the back door open. Sign that prenuptial. Got to have a way out. If I intend to, marry, to be married to Kim until the day that I die, I better not have an escape plan. I better go into that with full trust and with the desire to work on my marriage no matter what comes. Integrity is a serious issue in our country right now. In our culture, I should say. If true intention is there, deed will follow with promise carried out. If not, it wasn't truly intended. 
This is why Scripture takes so seriously the vows that we make. A powerful intention is fueled by strong vision. Right? So we say of certain people that the, their words, their bond, or their, 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 their word is as good as gold. Right? People who have a strong vision because they have integrity. People who see themselves standing before God and not just other people when making a promise. And they mean what they say since they have a strong vision which comes out of a solid intention and decisions to follow through. As it says in Psalm 15.4, God honors those who keep an oath even when it hurts and who don't change their mind. All of these three, three, vision, intention, and means mutually strengthen one another. Right? So we have the vision of the kingdom reign of God in the world and in our lives. And then we have the intention, which includes this unswerving decision and choice to follow Jesus in whatever, we, whatever He says in His teachings, which brings us to means of spiritual formation, the seeking out of application with, with the tools that are available to us, right? To be obedient as far as we can to the vision and intention to following Jesus in the pursuit of God's kingdom, reign, and life. Our purpose is to replace the characteristics in us of the old sinful self with the character of Christ living out of the new self that He proclaims us to be. To give the Holy Spirit free reign through the power of God's Word to change us internally. Right? Bleeding out in all aspects of our being, including our outward behavior seen by others, which is birthed out of our internal change. So we want to pursue a Christ-centered worldview of life. Which is very different than what you were born into and you struggle against. We want to pursue and understand His purposes and His, His intentions for the world and for me. His feelings towards the world. His, His feelings towards others and myself. Deciding as Jesus would how to live. Taking on His character in all, all things. And the means to, do, to, to this begins with the identification of those things within us which stand in the way of that. The thoughts, the feelings, the habits, the social relationships, the bodily inclinations which prevent us from growing in Christ. Sometimes the means to changing these things in us aren't directly under our control though are they we do need the holy spirit we do need divine intervention and honestly we need this at all times we need god's work on us at all times since even when we don't feel like there's divine intervention there is divine intervention even taking in god's words itself is divine intervention although to us it might just mean i sat down and studied the bible for a little while And nothing really much happened. We must remember God's written word is powerful and effective, right? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and it is active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 
Isaiah 55 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and make it, making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Eater, isn't that funny? So is my word that goes out from my mouth, God says. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So you have a quiet time, and you may not think that anybody, anything much happened, but a seed was planted, and as you water that seed, it'll grow into fruition over your lifetime. And Philippians 1.6 says, And he who began a good work in you will complete it, will bring it to completion, or carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus, right? We remember these promises. And we also know that we have a good methodical work to do in partnership with God in this area of spiritual formation in our lives. Where there's a will, there's a way. And likewise, where there's no will, there's no way. Right? We're not gonna, nothing's, nothing's is going to happen if you don't set your mind to it and your heart to it. Right? We have to remember in this conversation too is that we do not earn our salvation. That's not what we're talking about. Right? That's by grace through faith alone. Ephesians 2, solidly clear on that, right? We know that. We don't earn our salvation. But we are called to partner with God in the work of our spiritual formation, of our sanctification, of our change, of our transformation into Christ's likeness. And he, he enables us and empowers us to do that, and He works with us as that happens. My dad, for instance, said to me uh, recently that he'd like to talk more. He and I get busy, we live in the same house, and sometimes we end up just walking by each other. Hi, hi. But we don't really sit down and talk. We have to decide to stop and sit and talk. It's the same with Jesus, right? If you want a good little booklet, there's a booklet back there somewhere on that shelf, and I'll go grab some downstairs. Uh, My Heart, Christ Home. And it talks about that, just spending time with Jesus. It's a a five-minute read that will do you a lot of good, right? Grab it. If you want one, just ask me. But David cries out in Psalm 51. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me or a steadfast spirit in me. That's his cry. As a matter of fact, the whole psalm is worth a meditation time on, right? In in order to understand David's own spiritually formative practices in life. To see how he did it. David was... Asking for divine movement in his heart. He definitely was. But his participation part was to stop and to ask, to beg, to plead God in this. That was his participation. So let's land this plane with an illustration. Say we have someone in our lives who's wronged us in the past. They've said hurtful things. They've done hurtful things to us. We've grown bitter, we've grown angry towards them, and relationship is broken down. That happens quite often to all of us, doesn't it? They're now in need. Something's happened in their life. They're in need of a Christian friend. They're in need of good Christian counsel. They're in need of your prayer. And they, for some reason, come to you, despite all of that in the past. And your old self says, forget it. Look how they treated me before. Right? And you don't want to do a thing for them. But your vision of the kingdom reign of God in the new self speaks of reconciliation and restoration of relationship. 
It speaks of peace between peoples. Hmm. <laughs> there is a tension. So instead of acting out of the flesh, out of the sinful nature, out of the old self, we might say, we've got a few terms for that, and intending to return evil with evil on that person, you instead intend or you decide or you choose to react to them in Christ-like love. But what are the means? Well, firstly, you're in your quiet times and you're reading things and you may see that Jesus was hanging on the cross and He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And He's saying that about the same people that nailed Him to the cross. Ouch. That's challenging. And then someone, you know, or someone, actually, someone said to me recently uh, that they were being... uh, uh, verbally attacked by somebody. And, and they, they said to me, well, at least I'm not being nailed to a cross, right? And, they, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's good. That's perspective, right? But as, 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 as you know, also know, Scripture urges us to forgive one another. And you, and you do a study on that word forgiveness, and you come across Ephesians 4.32, and it says, be kind and compassionate one to one another. Forgiving each other, just as Christ... As in Christ, God forgave you. And also Colossians 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. It means you don't have to always go and talk it all out, figure it all out, because sometimes that makes it worse. Sometimes you just got to bear with people and forgive them. And over all these virtues put on love, which we know, and I'll remind you because you may have forgotten, love is not romance. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. It is a teeth gritting. It is a, it's, a, it's got meat to it. Love is a choice. Which binds them all together in perfect unity. Ooh. <laughs> and you hear those words, that with Christ cross, understanding that his forgiveness went as far as going to death for you and that your sins nailed him to that cross. It's kind of challenging. For all the anger that you held towards that person, you find that you've done the same thing to Jesus. Hmm. And suddenly your window of choice has narrowed a great deal as to your, resp- as to your response to them. But your feelings conditioned by years of not responding to the lead of God's Word or the lead of the Holy Spirit in your life are just not there yet. You don't feel right about this still. You're hovering at the precipice of this just being cognitive information, theory, theology. But it's flirting. It's looking over the edge of self-denial and self-sacrificial love. And you need a little push. You need a little help to jump off the cliff, (laughs) right? And this is where you become like David, meeting God in prayer and asking Him to create in you a pure heart, a heart which would want to love somebody, which would want to love to sacrifice for someone who has been your oppressor in the past. Ouch! You You start to pray, and you pray, and you pray some more, then you pray again, and then you pray some more, and then you pray again, and again, and again, and you may feel a little bit better about it, but you're still not there. 
And then God moves somebody into your life and they tell you this wonderful story of Elizabeth Elliot who went in and lovingly brought Christ to a tribe in the jungle even after they killed her own husband. And you've lost all excuse. (laughs) You've got no more excuses. Your piddly first world problems mean nothing in the sight of all that. And you hear the Spirit say to you, go and do one kind thing for them. Go and pray for them. And you do. And no matter their response, doesn't matter how they respond, you've stepped well into the realm of spiritual formation. You're becoming sacrificial. You're becoming loving. Your, your kindness is forming in you. And, and as you look upon that person, the bitterness in you starts to melt away as you, you get to start to see or you get a spiritual insight into their heart as to why they've acted that way to you in the past. And it suddenly doesn't matter that much anymore. Because it doesn't. And you begin to understand their prison as bitterness gives way to compassion in your heart. And you feel a lot freer. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 starts to become a lot more real for you. And we all, with unveiled faces, in the presence of God, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory incrementally which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let me pray. Spirit, we ask that You would just convict our hearts, um, bring us in line with what You're doing. Help us to see where all of this theology, theory, preaching, blah, 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 um, actually becomes rubber that meets the road in relationships and in life, in sacrifice and love and care and peace and all that stuff. We talk about this stuff. We talk about change in the church and we want real change. So, Father, we cry out to You like David did. Create in us a a, a pure heart. Create in us a desire to move forward and deeper into our spiritual formation process with You. Make us more like Jesus. Renew a steadfast spirit in us and let us walk this out well. And Father, as we bring our tithe to You this morning, we ask that You would let us give with abandon whatever You have asked us to give personally. Father, we thank You for all that You're doing. And we give back to you only in the way that we can. We ask that you would increase our desire this morning. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.